I invite you to stand as we come for the reading of God's Word uh, from uh, the book of 2 Chronicles once again this morning. And as we come uh, to the Word of God today, again, 2 Chronicles is right after 1 Chronicles and right before the book of Ezra. So again, as you're turning there, we'll be beginning in chapter 18 and be looking at verses 1 through 7. Again, the word of the Lord from 2 Chronicles chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Jehoshaphat had riches and honor in abundance, and by marriage he allied himself with Ahab. After some years he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab killed sheep and oxen in abundance for him. And the people who were with him and persuaded him to go up with him to Ramoth-Gilead, So Ahab, king of Israel, said to Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, Will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? And he answered him, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will be with you in the war. Also Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, Please inquire for the word of the Lord today. And the king of Israel gathered the prophets together, 400 men, and said to them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? So they said, Go up, for God will deliver it into the king's hand. But Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here, that we may inquire of him? So the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, There is still one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord. But I hate him. Because he never prophesies good concerning me, but always evil. He is Micaiah, the son of Imlah. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, as you've given to us these words on this day, we pray by your blessed providence that your Holy Spirit will apply these words under our hearts. And that we will continue to show forth our love for you through the lives that we lead. And in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. In many ways, uh, this passage is uh, what some might call a Debbie Downer. Uh, This is a passage which follows a chapter which spoke of the great and wondrous holiness of Jehoshaphat. As we began at the, uh, at the first Sunday of January in uh, this portion of God's Word, we heard, of course, of Asa, his father. Asa had also been a godly man. But at the end of his life, he had given himself over to idols, given himself over to the bales of the land. And when he was lying uh, near death, we heard as he did not seek the Lord, but sought The physicians. And the physicians were unable to help him. And he died a long, slow, painful death. Last week we talked how Jehoshaphat ruled alongside of his father towards the end of his life. And one of the blessings that we saw of Jehoshaphat is that he engaged himself in renewing the kingdom of Judah. He had gotten rid of the Baals. He had gotten rid of the groves. He had gotten rid of the Ashtaroth poles. He had removed the priests of Baal from the temple. 
Everything that we read in 2 Chronicles 17 was a beautiful example of the keeping of the fifth commandment. Of course, the fifth commandment says that we are to honor our father and our mother. And of course, we understand that that means more than children listening to their parents. We also understand that fathers have responsibilities to their children. And the the Westminster Catechisms use the old language of superiors and inferiors. And when it does that, it's not saying that superiors are better than inferiors. It's just an old way of saying those who are in charge and those who are not. And what we see here in 2 Chronicles 18 is the opposite of what we saw in 2 Chronicles 17. We see a man who sins and sins greatly. We see a man who not only brings that sin into his own heart, but forces his son to engage in sin. We see a man who forces not only his son, but the whole nation of Judah to engage in sin. It seems like Jehoshaphat would have learned something from his father. From the wickedness that Asa had done at the end of his life. But what do we see? This passage begins by telling us that Jehoshaphat had everything that he needed. He had riches and honor in abundance. What more can someone need than riches and honor in abundance? What's the real problem going on here? The problem here is Jehoshaphat hasn't learned anything from Asa. Right? He, he has delighted in the Lord in the outward things. Right? He, he, he's done well in removing the idols from the land. But the opening verses of chapter 18 tell us something about the nature of Jehoshaphat's heart. It's something that each and every one of us need to pay clear attention to this morning. It's good to remove the outward idols. It's good to remove those things that are causing you to sin. But if you merely just clean the floor, have you really sufficiently cleaned? What happens when you start running the vacuum cleaner over the carpet that on the top looks clean? I can tell you what it looks like at my house. It, it fills up, right? Because there's all that dirt and grime that has been sucked down into the very heart of the carpet. And that's why you've got to shampoo it every now and then, right? To, to get the dirt out of the depths of it. Well, George Fat hasn't done that. He's merely concerned himself with the outward things. And as we read the chronicler here, as he tells us that he has riches and honor in abundance, it immediately tells us that he allies himself with Ahab. Now, Ahab, we know, was even worse than his father Jeroboam. We're told in the Scriptures that that Ahab was leagues worse than his father Jeroboam. Not only had he continued in the sins of his father Jeroboam, but he had introduced new sins into the land. And one of the sins that we're told of that he brings into the land is child sacrifice. 
We have heard of the god Molech. One of the things that Ahab would do is he would require of his citizens to take their firstborn and offer them to Molech. And we know what that entailed. It entailed throwing your child into a fire. And what was the purpose of this? Ironically, it was so that your family would be fertile. That you would have many children. That the... That, 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 Molech would would bless your fields through the murdering of a child. This is the man that Jehoshaphat thought it was a good idea to marry his son to. What we see in this passage again is of the dangers of only taking care of the outward parts of our lives. What we see in this passage is the dangers that we see from the Pharisees in the New Testament. They were hyper-concerned with holiness. With the outward things of the world. But how does Jesus describe them in Matthew 23? He he calls them white sepulchers. On the outside they were clean and beautiful and, and a wonder to look at. But what does Jesus say about their hearts, about what's inside. Of course, what are sepulchers full of? Sepulchers are full of dead men's bones. So brothers and sisters, as we look at this passage this morning, as we consider what it is the Holy Spirit is teaching us today uh, through this passage, through this negative example of Jehoshaphat, each and every one of us needs to take stock of where our heart is this morning. Are we, are we comfortable with the, the outward life that we're living? Are we comfortable with making sure that everything on the outside is clean? And not concerning ourselves with the inward matter. Remember what Jesus says in Mark 7 about defiling things? Right? It's not what comes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of a man that defiles him. And why is that? Because it's the heart that's the trouble. And a man who speaks vile words, who uses foul language, is somebody who just doesn't know how to speak any better. And why is that? Usually because they're they're uneducated. Because they don't understand what it means to use foul language and and why it's wrong. Again, it's a, a sign of an inward problem. And so what we see here from Jehoshaphat as he begins this, we not only see him again allying himself through marriage to Ahab, we also see again there in verse 3, when asked of Ahab if he would help, he says, I am as you are. Think about what he's saying. He is saying that I am Ahab. That my people are like Israel. Now let's say you are a godly man in Judah. Let's say you're a godly man who is raising his children up in the fear and admonition of the Lord, and the king of Judah says, you are an Israelite. Now, how would you take that? I'm struggling trying to think of a, uh, of a comparable illustration to think of uh, uh, for us. Imagine if somebody uh, who is in charge of our nation uh, came and spoke out and said that we are communists. How would that make you feel? We've been taught that communists are kind of the the worst thing you can possibly be as a nation. 
And, and you, of course, you would rev, revile from that. You would rev, revolt yourself from that. This is King Jehoshaphat who is declaring that they are no better, that they are Ahab, that they are of Israel. And this is a sad and awful day in the land of Judah. One of the things we're supposed to pick up in the midst of this uh, for our New Testament lives is that what is our identity? And who speaks for us? Well, thankfully, we don't have human leaders who name our name. When we think of that whole identity thing, the whole idea of who we are, who has claimed us? Who has said, I am as you are? Of course, we understand that is the Lord Jesus Christ, right? That's one of the effects of the incarnation, of the birth of the Lord Jesus in Bethlehem. He has become as one of us. And as He has entered into the heavenly places in in, in our promise, in our stead, what does He say from heaven? And He says from heaven that you are mine and I am yours. Here, Jehoshaphat has allied himself with Satan, quite literally. And he said, all of Judah, you are the same as me. Another thing we see from Jehoshaphat in the midst of this passage is we see a little bit of good. After Ahab calls out unto, unto the nation for the prophets to come, and what do the prophets come and say? Well, of course, Ahab, you're going to do great, right? You know, it's always good to have yes men around who will tell you what you want to hear, right? It's always good to have these uh, yes men who will uh, kind of pump you up, flatter you, right? Yeah, but Joseph says, well, well, don't you have any like godly prophets around? You know, somebody who might actually tell us what the Lord has to say? We see a little bit of good of Jehoshaphat, but remember what Jehoshaphat had just said. Right. He has said that I am yours, Ahab. Right. And one of the things we'll, we'll see in the coming weeks is uh, merely because he's called on a holy person to come and talk doesn't mean that Jehoshaphat's going to listen to Micaiah any more than Ahab was. That's what we see happen again. And, and why is that? Why do we see Jehoshaphat not heed the words of Micaiah the prophet? Because again, of where we begin this passage with a man who's satisfied to make deals with the devil. A man who is satisfied to make deals with the flesh. Who's satisfied to make deals with sin. And brothers and sisters, this is a serious matter for us. And we need to take stock of our own hearts. Again, how have we not just made deals with the devil in kind of a general sense, but specifically in our own lives. Because again, that's one of the big dangers of the world in which we live today. Again, we live in a world that has allied itself with Satan. We live in a culture that has declared itself for Ahab. We live in a culture that has decided that it has no need for the prophets of God. It has its own prophets who declare only good about it. And unfortunately, we see in the church today that this similar thing happening. And again, we, we like to kind of play the, the game that we see the Pharisees play in, in, in Luke chapter 18 and, and thank the Lord that we're not like those over there. 
But if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with our own hearts and our own minds, and we need to ask how we likewise do as the world does. Again, have we ordered our families in accordance with the Word of God? Or do we order our families how the culture has decided we should order things? Do we order our lives as God has ordered it in the Scriptures? Or does our decision making and all of our planning follow the ways of the world? And what we see in Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 18 is a king who has decided not to follow Jesus, but to follow Ahab. Because remember what it says there at the beginning, he has riches and honor and abundance. He has everything that he needs. But does Jehoshaphat really believe that? If you believe that, he wouldn't be seeking out Ahab to make alliances with. Again, the real problem here is Jehoshaphat does not trust in the power of the Lord. He doesn't trust in the sufficiency of the Lord. And the, the problem in his heart is, is he says that there's more out there for me than what God has given to me. And so let's sell off my youngest son to Ahab. Again, when we, we think about that particular sin that Jehoshaphat has committed. Again, this marrying off of his son to an unbeliever. Now, it's, it's something the Scriptures are about as clear on as they possibly could be. This isn't just an Old Testament thing where the book of Deuteronomy tells us that Israelites are not to marry Gentiles. We see in the New Testament, in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, that Paul makes it abundantly clear to the Christian church at Corinth that they are to have nothing to do with the works of the devil. And that includes they are not to allow their children to marry unbelievers. And again, what's the reasoning behind that? Is it just Paul being a killjoy? Paul not wanting people to have fun? You can think about what the entire organization of God's kingdom is for. And why is it are Christians to marry other Christians? Because what are Christian marriages supposed to produce? Christian marriages are supposed to produce Christians. And why are Christian marriages supposed to produce Christians? So that those Christians can marry other Christians and produce more Christians. And this is the warning that God gives Israel in Deuteronomy. That if they married their children off to the pagans, that within a generation, what would be the reality in Israel? Right here, what we see. Again, when Jeroboam tore the kingdom apart, where did Dan... Where did Naphtali, where did Asher, where did these tribes in the north get wives for their children? From the land of Assyria. From the Philistines. And what happens within a generation? Well, how many godly Israelites are there in the northern kingdom? Well, scriptures tell us there are no godly people in the northern kingdom. And why is that? Because the northern kingdom continued to marry their children off to unbelievers. And this is the great sin of Jehoshaphat here. 
This great sin of Jehoshaphat is he is sealing the destruction of the kingdom of Judah. Because again, the king is supposed to be an example to the nation. The king, as it says in the book of Deuteronomy, is to be the one that the people of God can look up to, see holiness and righteousness, and model their lives after. That was the problem with the great sin of David and Bathsheba. Because what was the example that Israel had to follow in the days of David? A man who was adulterous with another man's woman. A man who was not only adulterous, but was so filled with pride and with anger and with uh, this sense of, 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 of just doing his own thing that he kills a man in order to have his wife. And sometimes I don't think we comprehend the gravity of what David did in the sin with Bathsheba. And not only as a husband, but also as a father. Think about the nature of the sin. Again, the example that the father, David, showed to his son in the midst of this. There's a reason why all of David's offspring act and do the things that they do. It's because even though David was a man after God's own heart, His example was not what we would call godly. Of course, when we think of the descendants of David, look at Solomon. In Solomon, as a godly man, we we begin his story hearing of the way that he had asked the Lord for wisdom. And God had blessed him in this. But what happens to his children, Rehoboam and Jeroboam? Well, first off, Rehoboam given the option to live, listen to his friends, listen to his ungodly friends, or to listen to the elders of Israel, chose to listen to the counsel of his friends. His friends who knew, knew nothing of the Lord, knew nothing of the Scriptures, knew nothing of the blessings of God. And what happens? Because Rehoboam chooses the counsel of his friends. The, the kingdom is divided. Israel and Judah never to be reunited until the new covenant. Until the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, the reality of what we see here is of the consequences of sin. Of the reality that our individual sins are more than they appear. You know, our sins hurt others. And again, one of the ways in which the Scriptures remind us of this is we see the way in which you know, the, the, this particular sin of, Je- of Jehoshaphat will have consequences for your average Judahite in the next chapter. Because through this alliance, tens of thousands of Judahites are going to die in a completely worthless and pointless battle. And it all started because Jehoshaphat chose to marry off his son. Again, sometimes we may not be able to see the consequences of sin. But we need to be wise enough to understand that there will be consequences when we openly and flagrantly go against the Word of God. Again, as we see in the midst of this, of course, we also see uh, that the way that Ahab seduces and entices uh, Jehoshaphat, we're told in verse 2, that after some years he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria. Again, 
This isn't just a mere testimony of direction. We think of the word down here. The language here is important for us to pay attention to. He's gone down from Jerusalem to Samaria. Again, we we often talk about, you know, reclaiming the nation for Christ. You you hear a lot of that stuff. You see a lot of the, uh, a lot of that stuff on Facebook. You know, memes and the like. You know, talking about, you know, we need Jesus back in the nation. We're going to think about what's happening in this passage. Jehoshaphat has consciously gone down from the heights of the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. He has turned his back on the Lord. Both, both spiritually and physically, and has gone down to Samaria to worship false gods with Ahab. Again, brothers and sisters, as we again think of the, the, this call that we want to see in our own nation, this call that we want to see revival and reformation, that we want to see men and women come to Christ and to know the beauty of the gospel. Again, that revival, that reformation has to begin here. It has to begin here in our hearts. It has to begin in the example that we show to the outside world. And what good is a testimony that comes from a hypocrite? What good is a testimony that comes from somebody whose word is not worth the, 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 the sound that it is expressed with? Of course, if somebody comes to us and tells us not to do this, and they're doing it themselves, how likely are we to listen to them? Well, hopefully, we're wise enough not to listen to them, because it obviously doesn't mean anything to them. And Josephat has has damaged his witness. Not only damaged his witness to his son... But he's damaged his witness to Judah. And he's damaged his witness with God Almighty. Now, of course, one of the blessings that we will see later on in uh, this portion of God's Word is that Jehoshaphat is not completely like his father Asa. Many prophets were sent by the Lord to Asa. Many prophets were sent to the northern kingdom. Many prophets were sent to the wicked nations of Israel. We hear, for example, in the parable of the vineyard. The owner of the vineyard kept sending workers. And what did the people in the vineyard do? Well, they killed them, right? And eventually, the vineyard vineyard owner's son comes. And and what do they do to him? Well, of course, they kill him as well. But thankfully, Jehoshaphat is not like those men. The Lord God, through the prophet Micaiah, uh, will plant a seed in the midst of uh, Jehoshaphat's wickedness, of the great evil that he has brought down upon the nation of Judah. And we will see Jehoshaphat return unto the Lord. We will see him repent of his sin, just like his father David did when God sent Nathan. And you remember Nathan tells this elaborate story to David. And David, you, you, it, 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 as, as we're being told of it in 2 Samuel, you can see David getting angrier and angrier and angrier as, as Nathan's telling the story. And, and at the end, Nathan tells David, well, what do you think should happen to this guy? And David's like, oh, we should bring condemnation down on him. We should destroy him. And what does Nathan say to David? 
Thou art the man. And what do we see from David when Nathan points his finger in his face and calls him out on his sin? We see David collapse. We see David fall on his face. We see David tearing his clothing. We see David in tears before Nathan. But who is he really in tears before? He's in tears before the Lord has gone. He's in tears because he knows he has sinned before the Lord. And that's one of the ways in which the Scriptures show us that we can tell true repentance from false repentance. A lot of people are sorry for their sins. A lot of people are sorry that they got caught. A lot of people are sorry for getting their hand in the cookie jar. But they're sorry because of the consequences of that sin. They're sorry because they don't get to continue in that sin at least for that moment. But the Scriptures show us that true repentance is always followed not only by tears, by anguish, by by, by an understanding that you have sinned before the Lord our God. Again, we, we, we have a template for how we are to confess our sins in Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51, we, we see David as he's, as he's crying out to the Lord. In another psalm, he talks about his, his pillows being soaked with his tears. Because again, he knows what it is to sin before a holy and a righteous God. But he also knows what it is to receive the forgiveness of his sins. He knows what it is to look unto the Father, look unto the cross, look unto the Lord Jesus and see Jesus crying out on the cross. It is finished. For this is the reality of those who place their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. They have this promise within them. They have this reality, this knowledge that God has sent His Son to die for sinners. And the second person of the Holy Trinity has took on flesh that we might not no longer have the wrath of God upon us. And that we might receive not just kind of a get out of jail free card. Not just kind of, well, I'm sorry. But receive eternal life with the Father. And we we, we think about sin and we we think about the condemnation of God. We always need to remind ourselves to be satisfied in what Christ has done for us. Because again, that's what the heart of the sin of Jehoshaphat is in this passage. Again, he's not satisfied with the riches and honor he has. And that's what happens to Christians who are not satisfied in the riches of God's grace. Who are not satisfied in the abundance of the relationship that we now have with God Almighty. Because of the work of His Son. Can we look outside into the world for the answers of our hurt. We look outside unto the world uh, for, those, for those things that we think we need. And what we have is right here. This Word that God has revealed unto us has the very answers of life. God has revealed Himself to us in the Scriptures and has told us there is forgiveness of sins. And He has told us that there is forgiveness of sins for those who come and repent of their sin. 
who throw themselves down at the feet of their Master, at the feet of their Savior, and say, I am broken. I am no longer able to bear this pain, this this burden on me. Take it from me, Jesus. As we heard from the woman, after she had spent all her money on the physicians, all her, her, her money on the wonder workers, all her money in the world, she believed that if she, she just t- touched the garment, that she would be forgiven. And we see the compassion of Christ as He turns to her and speaks to her those lovely words that she was forgiven. That her faith has made her well. And brothers and sisters, as we go from this place this morning, let us believe that. That our faith has made us well. Let us also remember that we must seek forgiveness of sin. And if we are those who have been called by the Lord Jesus, then repentance should be a daily activity, a regular activity. Because we repent as those who are growing in our sanctification. Growing in holiness. Growing in our understanding of our own sin. And let us go from this place looking unto the cross of Calvary. Let us look at that empty tomb and let us remember that our name is written in God's book of life. And has been written there in the very blood of our Savior. Jesus the Christ. The Prince of Peace. And our Redeemer. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we give thanks again.